Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We are here to keep you up to date on the literature. So let's uh, take a look at everything we're going to be covering from this week. First off, you swallowed a coin. Let me help you with that. Let's talk about esophageal bougenage. That's right. I'll explain that later. Second, Wellens, a reminder of what it is and how to spot it. After that, when to order a bleeding disorder workup when you're thinking about abuse in children. And then from the fourth article, how to diagnose a functional neurological disorder. And then we wrap it all up with, I mean, just like last year, as it approaches winter in the northern hemisphere, we warn you about heat illnesses. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast. You're only going to get a portion of the last week's summaries, only two of the five. Don't worry, they're all really, really good. But if you would like to get access to both the podcast and the blog in their entirety, then you have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we never want money to be a barrier to patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just please reach out and we will help out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Vivian Lay, Joseph Miller, and Clay Smith. So let's kick it off with the first article. This was a fun one. It's called esophageal bougenage no idea if i'm pronouncing that right for the management of large esophageal coins safe effective efficient and underused out of the journal of pediatric emergency care now i always say this i want as many things in my toolkit as possible and today we are adding something new we are adding esophageal bougenage i i'm gonna keep saying it that way because i don't have anything better what the heck is esophageal bougenage I'm excited to tell you, actually. This is something you could likely do more of in the emergency department because it's just not that commonly done, despite evidence that it is safe, effective, and efficient compared to endoscopy. So, what are we actually talking about? Now, if someone, probably a child, swallows a coin and it becomes lodged in the esophagus, then what do you do? Coins are actually pretty safe. There's no sharp edges. You know, they're just all around pretty poopable objects. So... It actually has to be a coin. Don't try to do this with anything else. It definitely don't try to do this with a battery. But here's what you do. You take a Hearst dilator, which is this kind of soft, weighted snake thing, and insert it through the patient's mouth, down their esophagus, into the stomach. And you push the coin down into the stomach. That's it. And then they just poop it out a couple days later. In this study, pediatric emergency physicians at this hospital had been doing this procedure since 2004. Now, candidates for esophageal bougenage had to meet all these criteria. A single coin was ingested, and you've confirmed that it's in the esophagus. There's no respiratory distress. They have a normal esophagus, no prior foreign bodies, no surgeries, no disease in the esophagus, and it was a witnessed ingestion within the last 24 hours. Now, they did a retrospective analysis of all the children in their emergency department with esophageal coins. They found 205 patients. Wow, this actually happens quite a bit. A median age of 3.7 years. Esophageal bouchonage was attempted in about 75% of those patients with a 97% success rate. 97% success rate. That's right, I said it twice. The remainder, the last quarter of the patients, had this done by endoscopy, which had a 100% success rate. 
still, you know, 9700, pretty close. Bouginage was not associated with any major complications, just little things like emesis, gagging, and one case of oral abrasion. Endoscopy had one major complication. A 21-month-old child had to be reintubated after the procedure. Now, if bouginage was done, then you can imagine this was much faster than getting a consultant down there. So length of stay of 2.1 hours compared to 12 hours if they had to stay and wait around for the endoscopy. That contributed to a cost savings of about $9,000. So this is actually pretty simple and really effective. The shame is that most people don't seem to know what it is or how to do it, and they're not doing it at their sites. Why are people doing this? People cite the lack of training and fear of complications as why they don't. But it's pretty simple. There's no magic to it, and it's also safe. If you're willing to get past the biggest barrier, which is probably finding one of those big bougies, I personally actually only ever seen them in the operating room. They use them during bowel surgeries. Anesthesiologists just kind of shove that baby right down the esophagus and it kind of helps mark where the tubes are for the surgeon. I can tell you it's actually really quite easy to insert in a patient under anesthesia. Anyways, I think finding those bougies is probably the biggest barrier that you should have because this is pretty easy to do. Okay, and then we skip on over to the fourth article. This will be titled Inconsistency and Incongruence, Two Diagnostic Pillars for Functional Movement Disorders. Out of the journal, Lancet. A lot of resources can be misallocated when patients present with psychogenic spells or have movements that appear to be a seizure or some kind of other movement disorder when they don't actually have any such problem. We have to be able to pick up on clues when patients have functional movement disorders. Now, it's all about the movements. This was actually a case report of a 67-year-old woman with a head tremor. There's a video that's linked in the blog, and it accompanies the article, and it is quite informative, actually. And it shows the woman and speaks about each of her behaviors. Anyways, we'll talk about them. She had normal imaging and was seeking a specialist for a second opinion. The two features that help us spot a functional disorder are inconsistency and incongruence. Inconsistency consists of variability in the pattern of movement, like the frequency, the amplitude, the distribution, and severity, as well as the movements being susceptible to distractibility. So it's not always going to be the same depending on what the patient is doing, essentially. Like, if you were to give the patient a specific task that requires them to concentrate, the example used in the video was tapping your finger at a very specific frequency, this changes the pattern of the movement because the patient is distracted and they're trying to focus on the task that you've given them. Then, after inconsistency, there's incongruence, meaning that the movements are not in keeping with any known manifestation of other neurological disorders, and we can't explain them with any known neuroanatomical pathways. This one is going to be harder for emergency physicians than for neurologists to pick up on, but it's still important. Now, once you've picked up on this, you have to think about that these patients aren't necessarily trying to deceive you. They don't necessarily have ill intent. So it's important to explain to them gently and factually while providing reassurance that unrecognized maladaptive thoughts and beliefs can unfortunately predispose patients to the development of functional movement disorders. This approach, being kind and factual, uh, increases the possibility of successful resolution of symptoms and concordance with cognitive, physical, and occupational therapies to which these patients should likely be referred. In a spoonful, 
When you're suspecting a functional movement disorder, you'll probably pick up on these things kind of subconsciously, but it'll be easier for you to document them if you can name them. Look for inconsistency and incongruence. All right, let's do the wrap up. Everything that we covered from this week, what did we learn? First, the solution to esophageal coinage is esophageal bougenage. Then from the fourth article, when spotting a functional movement disorder, be on the lookout for inconsistency and incongruence. All right, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of spaced repetition. If you're feeling like you're missing out, you'd like to hear more of these summaries, a longer podcast, then you should come over and join us at the members feed. Our goal here is to hopefully help you read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.